Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the next real measure for small business contracts. It would be really interesting to see some data on what are those companies doing that get into the STARS program? How many of them have progressed and become businesses that compete in the full and open arena? From an ownership standpoint, or, you know, what, what kind of wealth has been created for people? What sort of opportunity has arisen from that? Resources are coming for agencies struggling with customer experience. Those are the agencies that I think should be looking to explore the systems and the approaches and the playbooks that are already out there, the ones that are being developed today. And the new VA CIO tells Congress his expectations for his contractors. I think we do need to hold them to a standard, and that standard is is in terms of delivery, and it's in terms of efficacy and efficiency in that delivery as well. It's Monday, February 14th, 2022. Happy Valentine's Day, and welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The General Services Administration's ramping up its market research for its government-wide cloud blanket purchase agreement. GSA says it'll still make awards in three pools, infrastructure and platform as a service, software as a service, and cloud-related IT professional services. GSA says it hasn't set an award date yet. IPv6 transition guidance is coming from the task force that's working on that transition. The chairman of the federal IPv6 task force, Robert Sears, says the guidance will come in the next month. Sears says the first phase of the guidance will include advice on forming an agency's transition team for IPv6. You can read more about these headlines, lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Nominations are open now for the best bosses in federal IT. We want to honor the CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, and other technology leaders that are driving modernization and innovation all across the federal government. You can file your nominations now. The list of finalists debuts March 28th. You can find a link to learn more and make nominations in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. More than 500 businesses across the United States are celebrating their selections to the second round of awards on the STARS-3 government-wide acquisition contract. That contract could be worth up to $50 billion. Alan Thomas is a former head of the Federal Acquisition Service at the General Services Administration. Alan, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. What do you see as you look down the list of the awards, read about the awards? What do you see that's important for both government people in the vendor community. Welcome. Thanks for having me again, Francis. Always good to see you. A couple of things I think that stand out. One is just the number uh, of awards. So, you know, there was a a cohort one or phase one where they had, I think, 425 or so companies got an award. This was more than 500 companies in phase two. And and GSA said there's going to be a third phase. And so that'll that'll put it well over a thousand companies when they're all done, which is you know, which is significantly more than we're on STARS 2. I went back and looked, there were about 800 or so awardees on STARS 2. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty good bump in the size of the sort of industrial base that you have there of, uh, of 8As, which I think kind of fits with the administration's focus on, you know, increasing accessibility and, uh, and, and things like that. I think the other thing for me that stands out is this sort of fills a hole in the in the small business GWAC lineup that GSA has, right? Polaris, which you know we've been talking about for a while, is sort of the follow-on to Alliant Too Small, which ended up getting canceled. Uh, is not you know it's is not ready to go yet, right? And probably you know probably won't be really until the till the end of the fiscal year would be be my guess. You know, and you've got CIOSP four, uh, which is 
which is sort of out there, uh, but a bit, you know, but a bit in doubt, right, in terms of when that's going to get awarded or if it really even gets awarded. COSP3 has been extended for a while. So this, you know, this award, I think, does sort of fill in a little bit of a hole when it comes to, you know, best in class tier three kind of vehicles that uh, that agency buyers need. If I'm one of those companies uh, that is among this tranche or the previous one or the one to come, what do I do to really leverage the ability to serve agencies and, quite frankly, to to uh, make money? Well, I think uh, you know this this vehicle sort of expands what what can happen on Stars too, and there, there was or on on Stars in general. There was a focus on kind of emerging technology in the in the evaluation criteria, so things like. AI and blockchain and robotic process automation. So that, that's where a lot of agencies are going. You see, you see a lot of activity in the marketplace in those areas. It also opens up the possibility for uh, um, vendors to serve agencies OCONUS, which, is, which was a big one for DOD, which is a big user of, uh, of, of the STARS vehicle. So I think, yeah, I think you'll see you know, a, a companies focus on some of those emerging tech areas that are hot right now. And then I also think there's obviously a cohort of uh, of companies that you know that do work overseas and will want to leverage the vehicle to uh, to take advantage of those kind of opportunities. Uh, my colleague John Hewitt Jones writes: GSA's work with SBA on the IT contract vehicle as both agencies seek to use their work to support President Biden's executive order on improving racial equity. Is that uh, anything unusual there? I'm not sure that I remember a reference to SBA on these before, but I may have just missed it, Alan. I think, uh, you know, I think there's always been some coordination between GSA and SBA, maybe not as explicit as it's been here. I do think it makes sense to call it out, particularly around the 8A program. You know, SBA controls all the rules around small businesses. And so uh, it just I think it makes sense for GSA and SBA to really closely coordinate on these on these sort of things. I would say I think it would be really interesting. We're, we're 25 years in now, Francis, on on 8A on an 8A GWAC, right? It would be really interesting to see some data on what are those companies doing that get into the STARS program? How many of them have progressed and become businesses that compete in the full and open arena from an ownership standpoint? Or, you know, what, what kind of wealth has been created for people? What sort of opportunity has arisen from that? And I think it's great to talk about equity and inclusion and accessibility. We've got 25 years now. Let's, let's go look at the data and see what, are the programs actually working as intended? It would also be interesting, I think, to look at that data, if possible, and see why those companies have progressed or not progressed and, um, and, and what that has meant for the government, too, whether they've gotten an equivalent level of services that they would have gotten from the big boys, because I think we would find, um, with all due respect to the big primes that you and I know all their names, uh, some of these small companies have probably provided as good or higher levels of service to their government customers. Agree. I think that that would be an important component of looking at that data, also, right? What are the outcomes that you've gotten from the, um, you know, from from the task orders that have been awarded to these companies? Does that data exist? Do we know? And if it does, how does one go about collecting it? Is that GSA's job to go about? I mean, not job. We're we're giving them, <laughs> we're giving them a mandate that nobody else has given them. But if if someone one with authority were to say you should collect and produce that data, is that GSA's uh, ability to do that? I feel like that's a little bit more of an OMB, OFPP sort of uh, sort of effort there. It would certainly be a team effort, right? Yeah. A kind of whole of government uh, initiative, and you know, to go back that far when you're not thinking about collecting that kind of information up front would make it would probably make it tough. 
but 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 I do think you could probably pull some information together and draw some you know draw some broad conclusions. Really, it's just sort of it's good government, right? To yeah. think about if you putting putting programs in place and they've got you know you're trying to create an uh, an, an effect or a result. You know, just collect some information along the way and see how you're doing, so that then you can recalibrate as you as you go along. Even if you can't collect all 25 years worth of data, I mean, I would think at this point we got to be able to collect 10 years of data, or maybe 15, and get a sense from that about the outcomes that you're discussing, right? I I I would agree. I would I would I would think that information should be readily readily available from the last decade or so. All right, you mentioned two other vehicles that are important. I think to not forget, and that's Polaris and CIOSP four. They are both floating around out there. What do you see, if anything, moving forward on either one of those that vendors should be thinking about or that agencies should be thinking about? Polaris seems to be on track. I mean, they're taking, I would say, a, a deliberate approach, being careful, right, with the with the experience of Alliant 2 and really with the experience of CISP4 recently. I think that I think that makes sense. But that that vehicle seems to be uh, seems to be on track. And you know, I would expect that to get successfully awarded. I would note that this phased approach is a way that they've taken on Stars Three, and you you, you might see something similar on on uh, Polaris. You know, it, it is a way to forestall protest. Uh, if you think about that, right? You, you and you can get you know a bunch of companies out there get the vehicle working, and then if you didn't get an award, hey, don't protest. You might be in the next cohort, and if you didn't get an award in cohort two, hey, don't protest. You might be in cohort three. So you might see that on Polaris. The folks on CISP4 over at NITAC might be wishing they'd taken that, that sort of approach as well. Look, I, I don't have any special insight on CISP4. I can tell you from an industry perspective, people are people are unhappy, right? They're, yeah. they're, they're unhappy with how the proposals have been received and the number of amendments and the timing of the amendments. Uh, I think it's an open question as to whether the, you know, whether the vehicle gets awarded in a timely fashion here or, or not. If you do those cohorts, do the cohorts ever end, Alan, or is that just a, a tool that an organization can use to put off protests? I, I mean, I don't mean put off by it, avoid them. Well, maybe I do. I mean, that if you if you continue to iterate like that, and you could call it iteration, I guess. Well, I think GSA said on Stars Three, they're going to be three cohorts, right? So not it's not it's not you know an uh, it's not an uh, infinity loop of, of yeah. Cohorts. I, I know they said that, but you know, there's artistic license sometimes. I, I do think what could happen uh, is I think the procurement, some of the procurement policy folks are pretty smart, right? I think if you if you get through phase cohort one and cohort two, and then you get some protests in cohort three, I don't know that that impacts cohort one and cohort two. So if you think about that, you've got 920 some odd companies already on the vehicle. If there's a protest in cohort three, you're you're still rolling with as more vendors than you had last time on stars too. So it's actually it's actually pretty Pretty smart policy, I think. All right. A uh, quick final thought. How does an agency leverage these Stars 3 awards to its uh, uh, to the maximum benefit for, to themselves? Well, I think from a, you know, from a sort of category management, strategic sourcing perspective, it's a it's a it's a tier three vehicle. So as an agency, you get the you get the most credit uh, in OMB's eyes for using it. Obviously got a uh, just a very, very large number of uh, vendors on there. So, you know, I would think any sort of technology work that's in the 8A program that's not on STARS, you might want to consider consolidating and running r- running through that vehicle if you're an agency. Alan Thomas, great to talk to you as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you.
You can read more about the Stars 3 Awards in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop Podcast, coming on Tuesday's show, Building Software in the Pentagon. The first chief software officer at the Air Force, Nick Shayon, is here. He'll have ideas to make the new software modernization strategy really work at DOD. That Daily Scoop Podcast debuts Tuesday afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Meeting the principles of the customer experience executive orders, one potential new category for the Fatara scorecard. That would put the customer experience concept front and center for every agency chief information officer. Simone Zickman is senior vice president for client growth at Maximus. He's former chief information officer at the Department of Commerce. Simone, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. I realize as I say that, I make it sound like maybe customer experience hasn't been front and center for CIOs before. Am I maybe thinking about that the wrong way, Simone? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you know, I would say that um, customer experience has certainly been a topic of conversation before. I think the uh, the, the elevated focus that's going to be coming as a result of the recent executive order is going to make things a little more systematic in terms of requiring agencies to develop plans, measure progress against plans, establishing metrics, uh, as you had mentioned, potentially ending up in a, a scorecard where there's third-party assessment of what agencies are doing. So I, I don't think either of us would suggest that nothing has been done in this area, but I think things will be more systematic in terms of ensuring that it's a focus for everyone and that results are being measured. What does that system look like in that systematic approach, Simone? What should an agency build inside itself and what should it maybe prepare for as, uh, you know, Suzette Kent talked about at the Fatara hearing, in, including that in the Fatara scorecard or other possibilities? I think that remains to be determined. It's not clear exactly what that's going to look like, but I think one of the important things is to have some degree of common approaches and every agency has its own mission, its own system. So exactly what gets done for customer experience improvement may vary, but the approach to developing plans, the general philosophy around how you measure customer experience and how you report upward. I think that's where there's going to be some benefit to having a, some common approaches, especially when it comes to something like a Fatara scorecard, where GAO is going to have to measure some very diverse agencies with diverse missions and still have some common basis of understanding for scoring the agency's progress in that area. Because the first indicator I imagine would be, we'll just read the executive order and do that, but I'm not sure it's that simple. It strikes me that what the reason that you just outlined is the reason for that. Every agency has a different mission, has different ways of executing that mission. And so there are ways of determining the level of customer experience they're providing now because you need a benchmark to start from, I imagine and then what to do in the future, what, where you want to go, and then the in-between will, will be different for everybody. That's right. The, the, the nature of the experience is going to vary. The nature of the customers is going to vary. And what the customers are looking for from a better experience will certainly vary as well. The organizations that are doing it well in government, are there common threads among what they're doing well to deliver on customer experience, whether it's internal or external customers, Simone? I, I think the answer is yes. The agencies that are doing it well, there are some commonalities. Uh, I think it's maybe a, a little hard to call customer experience a science, 
but there certainly is some theory around it so that it's not pure art. There's an understanding of what it means, how you do things in a customer-centric way, the fact that you need to look at um, technology as an enabler in a way of delivering or enabling better customer experience, but it's not always and maybe often won't be inherently a technological issue. It might be the, the means to the end, but how you define the end may be based on what your customers are looking for. It may be a, a change in business process. It may be an enablement issue or how you deliver information more quickly or how you optimize your operations to, to deliver on a, a component of a mission more effectively. So there's a lot to it, but I do think that there are certainly some, uh, some underpinnings of, of robust and well-thought-out theory around what to do and, more importantly, how to do it, how to, how to achieve those goals. Where do those uh, theories live and where maybe should they live or be curated, Simone, to make sure that uh, agencies have access to them all the time and that everybody's kind of playing from that same playbook? You've, you've indicated a couple of times in this conversation how important you think that is. Well, I would say that the thought leadership is is coming from a variety of places. There certainly is sort of the the very broad thought leadership, the the development of of doing research and articulating the the philosophy and the psychology of customer experience. Um, there's also thought leadership coming out of OMB, looking at what agencies are doing, trying to look at best practices, share those best practices, understand what needs to be built into. CX plans for the agencies. You have third-party organizations, associations like ACT-IAC, which is developing playbooks in a variety of, of different areas, not exclusively customer experience. But those are those are good opportunities because it's really a, a, a collaboration within the community that includes government, it includes private sector, it includes people who are passionate about customer experience and helping to document the, the best practices and start articulating approaches for everybody to, to use and to reuse. And then you have a variety of, of companies. Uh, we hope Maximus is certainly viewed as being among them that are thought leaders in the area of customer experience. Companies that have been, as you had said, implementing customer experience improvements long before this executive order came out and uh, are, are helping to provide the the partnership that agencies are looking for to do the improvements that they're looking to implement. Are there opportunities that agencies may be missing or missing the full potential of to use IT for better customer experience, Simone? Well, I maybe don't want to take the slant that agencies are missing opportunities. I will say that there certainly are opportunities. Uh, and, you know, there it, it really... I think the first principles where you really need to start is what are the, the goals or the outcomes that you're trying to achieve? Are you trying to improve your own operations so that you can deliver more effectively with the same number of, of people uh, in terms of your service delivery? Are you trying to provide IT-enabled human decision-making among the people on the government side, bring them, you know, enable them to make decisions more quickly to serve citizens? Are you trying to get information to citizens more quickly through self-service types of technology. So there are all sorts of technologies, whether it's call center technologies, AI and machine learning, analytics, uh, natural language processing. Uh, there are, I don't want to say countless, but many, many opportunities. And I think where you need to start thinking about it is what are the goals that we're trying to achieve? I want to go back to that idea of, of uh, kind of a, of a uniform 
uh, customer experience uh, approach, a systematic approach, as you've outlined it a couple of times in this conversation. How would you advise an agency to think about when that systemic approach is important and they should use a playbook or concepts that other agencies are using and where they need to figure out their own paths? Well, I would say every agency needs to figure out its own path in the sense that even best practices or a playbook needs to be tailored to what you are trying to accomplish. But I think the the first part of your question, where agencies should be looking to those playbooks, I think if agencies feel like they've been doing this for several years and they perhaps feel like they're already trailblazers down the path, they may already have their own playbook, or they may be the ones who, uh, in a sense, develop the, the general approaches that have now become part of the government-wide playbook or, or some third-party recommendations. But I think we're also going to find, because it's, it's a mixed bag, some agencies were at the forefront, some were maybe in the middle of the pack, and some are lagging a little bit. Any agency that feels like they could be doing better and are looking for best practices to implement, understanding that they may be better off not reinventing the wheel, but taking advantage of what's already out there. Those are the agencies that I think should be looking to explore the systems and the approaches and the playbooks that are already out there, the ones that are being developed today. Simone Zickman, great to have you on the program as always, my friend. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Francis. It's always a pleasure. You can find a link to the Customer Experience Executive Order in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The new chief information officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs says he's getting the lay of the land before he makes big decisions about the agency's IT posture. Kurt Del Bene's been at VA for about a month. His first testimony to the House Veterans Affairs Committee's IT Modernization Subcommittee included questions about the electronic health record system and a long list of other IT projects. In this highlight of that hearing, the ranking member of the subcommittee, Representative Matt Rosendale of Montana, asks Del Bene about the VA IT budget and where the money's going. In your testimony, you noted that resource prioritization is complex and important, and I do agree with that but I think it goes without saying. Can you expound on where OIT can prioritize its resources better? Uh, And thanks for the question. It's It's a good one. And it's a thing that I've spent a bunch of time thinking about and talking with the team. The first thing is getting clarity Within uh, the work gets broken into portfolios and then underneath particular product lines, if you will. I think mm-hmm. we need to get clear uh, understanding of what is funded and what isn't and understanding what the resource allocations are in each of those areas. That's that's job one. And then we can identify for those areas, Does it do we need more resources or is there a reallocation of resources that can be done uh, in one of the portfolios? I think you secondly, I think you have to step back and say, are there some places that are overly funded? I don't think there are that many of those in, in a scarcity situation that we have, but is there an opportunity to balance across the portfolios? But the third thing is it's all dependent upon having great engineering or business accounting that goes with um, that aids the decision making. And I think getting a, a greater degree of clarity of where the dollars are allocated to particular programs is, I think, what I was alluding to of that, that decision support can be improved. And I'm glad that you brought up the, uh, the engineering because you emphasize the goal of engineering excellence, uh, quote, environment of heavy outsourcing to ex- 
external contractors. Um, part of engineering excellence is having at least a few internal teams of top flight software developers. How are you going to do that and which areas do you think are most important? And so I do think first and foremost, just given the numbers, I think getting our technical staff deeply integrated at a higher degree than historically with the contract organizations. So they act more as one and we have deep knowledge of how they're doing and, and where there are opportunities to improve. Job, I think that's job one. I agree with your point that we also need the opportunity to have software development internally. Mm -hmm. We have that within our CTO office and work is going on there. We have it in our DevSecOps organization. One place that's a huge opportunity is low-code, no-code solutions, where we can rapidly build a solution and deliver it to one of the, one of the um, stakeholders, whether it's VHA or VBA. And then building platforms for continued innovation, like in the VBA space around claims automation, I think is another place that we really have an opportunity to build um, a capability over a period of time. So sticking with the, uh, the contractors, and there are an extraordinary number of IT contractors operating in and around Virginia. All contractors, as you well, are not equal. I see the same names, however, winning work year after year, regardless of their records of success or the value that they provide. I also see a bias towards big entrenched players. What are your expectations of, the, of those contractors? Well, I, I, great question. I think we do need to hold them to a standard and that standard is, is in terms of delivery and it's in terms of efficacy and efficiency in that delivery as well. So I've been talking with the team about, tell me at the next click down, tell me what resources we're paying for with a particular contract. And is there a way to drive greater efficiency there? That's point one. And point two is there are places we're actually using uh, smaller contractors that are innovate in a particular area I think there's more opportunity to do that, uh, to so both, both to drive diversity in the contractors we use, but across the board, I think it comes down to holding to a higher standard. And I think part of that is this, the thing that I mentioned earlier, getting deeply immersed in the work so we understand it well enough to see where those opportunities exist. Very good. And, and I think that that's why we're going to rely upon you to develop matrix so that we can see, so that we can actually measure um, and define what is success, because without that, we, we just don't know where we are, which leads me to my last question. Even the competitive contracts seem to favor the big entrenched players, but how often is sole source contracting used and how much is too much to go with this sole source contracting? Well, my sense is that sole source isn't used that much when you're talking about the large use of a contractor within the VA so far. But I think your point is that we should have competition there, that we should make sure we're driving excellence uh, in the contracts that we do use, and that we should be open to having uh, you know, others that have good ideas involved. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. The CIO at the Department of Veterans Affairs, Kurt Del Bene on Capitol Hill recently, answering a question from the ranking member of the House Veterans Affairs IT Modernization Subcommittee, Congressman Matt Rosendale of Montana. Del Bene also took questions from the chairman of the full committee, Congressman Mark Takano of California. While we spent a lot of time discussing EHRM and supply chain modernization, I wanted to bring your attention to the importance of modernizing and investing in the Veterans Benefit Administration IT systems. Uh, for discussion with my staff regarding the IT budget reviews, it's apparent that VBA has lagged in the total amount of spending and attention it has received to modernize its IT. 
My top priority of this Congress is to successfully pass the Honor Our Pact Act, which will improve health care and benefits for veterans exposed to toxic substances during their military service. From my previous experience with passing the Blue Water Navy Vietnam Veterans Act last Congress, I know that we need to be thinking about how uh, thinking now about providing the infrastructure at VA to support their staff with quickly uh, and efficiently processing new claims and getting benefits to uh, veterans. And even before that, we know that Secretary Shinseki enlarged the uh, eligibility uh, for such claims for PTSD. And we, we experienced a huge backlog then. So I hope we learn from those experiences. I would like to start a dialogue with you as soon as possible to determine exactly what the VA needs to support this incredibly important legislation. Your support and leadership to employees will be necessary to create the change needed to make this program successful. So can I count on you to work with our committee and my staff on your budget and staff requirements or staffing requirements to successfully implement uh, the program? Thank you for the question. You definitely can count on working with me. I believe in a very collaborative relationship and also being very transparent about where things stand. I think your point around programs like the the uh, PAC can actually drive a bunch of new uh, claims, which we want to honor and we want to support. And so we, but we need to do that in an efficient way. And that's where IT systems properly invested can actually help us deliver a, a good experience for veterans and is critical. So I I welcome the ability to collaborate there. Well, thank you. In your short time at VA, what have you identified as the biggest hurdles to successfully, to modernizing successfully, uh, you know, this program? Well, there are there are a number of challenges. I I don't know whether I would call them hurdles so much as as places where we need to focus. I think having clarity of vision, clarity of execution plans. Metrics that measure outcomes, I think, is is absolutely critical, uh, and making sure that we have the resources allocated. I think there, if you look across the portfolio, it's been uh, the resourcing has been fo pretty focused on the on the key uh, needs. But as you say, there's an opportunity for us to increase funding so that we can get to the backlog of, of modernization that needs to happen and deliver the necessary uh, resources to to. Um, to serve veterans. So I think resourcing is a, is a critical thing as well. Kurt Del Bene, the new chief information officer at the Department of Veterans Affairs, answering a question from House Veterans Affairs Committee Chairman Mark Takano. You can find a link to watch the whole hearing in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every day, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. Tuesday's Daily Scoop Podcast features the first chief software officer at the Air Force, Nick Shayon on the new software modernization strategy at DOD. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening and happy Valentine's Day.